Welcome back to another episode of the Professor Penn Podcast. David Penn here, welcoming you back. Happy 4th of July. This is kind of a 4th of July episode. So uh, we're premiering here at 9 o'clock. Some of you may have uh, gone out to watch the fireworks. Some of you may have stayed home to watch the, the podcast. So we're going to try to have some fireworks here. We're going to try to get into, well, I don't know, some of the big picture issues that um, occur to me as I think about the 4th of July and, you know, my, my involvement in our project here of, of uh, the American experiment. Uh, first of all, as always, I want to emphasize this is truth media, truth media where we are striving to get to a closer awareness of and appreciation of the truth. We're not buying any narratives that are coming on down from on high meant to distract us, and we don't do that. We turn over every rock, and we urge you to do the same with us. That's why we're doing this. And we're a firm believer in the patriot economy, and that's those businesses and those people that are supporting the movement. And what is the movement? It's a movement of the people. This is a people's movement. It's called populism, which we're going to talk about that today. That's going to be a big subject of today's 4th of July special broadcast. And I have a theory, and that is truth, media, plus the patriot economy equals freedom. So uh, I would like to thank our, our uh, platform here, Free People Radio, the home of truth media. I'd like to thank our sponsor, TireGet.com, that's T-I-R-E-G-E-T.com. 14,000 different kinds of tires in stock, everything you need for any of your vehicles. Price is right, service is great, and when you do it, you're supporting the movement. PrecinctStrategy.com, PrecinctStrategy.com, a place to go for a tutorial about how to get into the game of politics. Get off the couch and get in the game. Make your will felt. Be part of this great movement that we call the United States of America. And I'm just going to start out with a little prayer. It's not really a prayer. It's from our founding documents, but how appropriate it would be on this day, the 4th of July, to read, We Hold These Truths to Be Self-Evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. A, 4th of July. I mean, what could be more meaningful? There it is, the Declaration. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating our divorce from empire, which is really, you know, what this whole project was about. And guess what? Empire, she was a crazy ex-spouse, or he was a crazy ex-spouse, however you want to view it, and we didn't really get divorced. We tried to get divorced, but it wouldn't let go. And that's where we find ourselves today, and that's what, you know, our, our ongoing theme is. How did we get caught back up in empire? What does that mean to us to be in an empire? And what are we going to do about it? Because as I always say, at this time, we got to pick a side. we got to pick one side of the football or the other. 
There's none of this straddling the line anymore. That's worked for decades, and that's why things are so screwed up. You know, uh, Tanner, can you just play this short piece because I promised it and it's so appropriate? For the love of the game, clear the mechanism. Clear the mechanism, also known as prayer. I want to say hello to you. I want to wish you well-being. I want to wish you a good holiday. And I want to talk about this clear the mechanism thing with you because it's so critical. Uh, We are confronted with our own doubts, our own self-criticisms, and then we have people in our life that reflect those to us. That's kind of natural, right? You got a weakness, and then you got somebody in your life that you love or that you hate that just works on that weakness. They're a reflection, and you know they're an outward reflection of what's going on inside of us, our fears, our concerns. And that's what Clear the Mechanism's all about. You know, you could see from that scene, if you just redact it, the guy's screaming at him, hey, you suck, you can't pitch. Now, this is a story of a great pitcher at the end of his career that's trying to Uh, eke out some more victories, some more great performances. He's been through a lot. You can tell from his face. If you go back and watch it again, he's aged. Kevin Costner does a great job. The the name of the movie is For the Love of the Game. It's a great baseball movie, and it's a great movie about life. It's it's really worth watching. But this, for me, was the, the best scene of the movie, the best. Clear the mechanism. Because it really talks and really shows uh, what's required to get anything done of significance. When I uh, find my internal fears and concerns uh, outward reflected by the people that I love, and they say them back to me, you know, hammering away on the things inside me that are the most vulnerable, that's the moment that I have to say, clear the mechanism. This is about faith. Uh, the pitcher, his name's Billy Chapel. he had faith in his skills. He had faith. He knew how to give over and, and let go and let his, his connection prevail to throw that 98-mile-an-hour fastball just where it needs to be and then mix it up with a curveball, keep that batter off balance. He was into the art of being a pitcher. 
That's what we want to be. We want to be artists of life. So when I said last time I was listening at the Professor Penn podcast, kind of a secret society, it is kind of, because I'm going to share with you all the things I learned in the three different secret societies that I spent most of my life in. And, they're, you know, they're, a couple of them are pretty innocuous, classical music, uh, and then being raised in a religious household. I mean, these are, are rather innocuous. They're, they're common experiences. It's just that to get the most out of these, you really got to delve into it at a level that people don't go. And in all of the um, special things I've done in my life, I've recognized that clear the mechanism to focus on the task at hand and not allow others or even inside myself those doubts and fears to take me away from the focus of what I'm trying to do, what I need to accomplish. That's very critical, and I'd like you to watch that over and over again. I like to watch it. I didn't put it up here for you alone. I put it up here for me because it's such a great reminder of focus, focus, awareness. We have to have centering and awareness. We have to be focused, and that focus is so critical. And there it is. And just when you're going through your life and you're trying to make changes or trying to make yourself into a different person, a better person, you get that that feedback from someone you love or someone you hate. Hey, you're a bum. You can't do it. You stink on ice. That kind of thing, like in the movie. You just have to clear the mechanism. And if you really are on the right track, if you're on the right path, the right path for you, which is different than anybody else, it's your path. If you know you're on the right path and these people are putting you down, you don't have to hate them. You just have to let it pass through you in one ear and out the other, clear the mechanism and stay on your path. And in that, in that realm or along that way, you know, I've been talking a lot about prayer because I feel that prayer is, man, it's the X factor. I mean, we're really up against it now from my perspective. You know, you might have a different perspective. And there's a lot of people think that this thing is normal and going on forever, but I think we all have this kind of nagging sense that things are unusual. And I'm trying to advance the idea that we need an authentic American foreign policy, an authentic American domestic policy. We need an authentic American religion that is uninfluenced by the European traditions, which have infected everything, our academic institutions, Let's think about our churches and synagogues. You know, we've talked about this. These churches and synagogues have tax-free status, and that's intended to help them be economically sustainable. And this this status goes back a long time. But one of our most uh, skullduggerous politicians, President Lyndon Baines Johnson in the 1950s, tied religious institutions' tax-free status, that 501c3 status, to non-political discourse. In other words, if you become very political in the pulpit, you're going to lose your tax-free status. What Johnson did is he made the state, the state, allegiance to the state, superordinate to allegiance and faith in God. Okay, great, great work. So we've got that 
European influence, it's all the way down into the pulpits of our churches and our synagogues and our mosques. So we have a daunting task. And that's why today we're going to talk about populism, which is a movement of the people, right? Because our elites, hey, they're bought off. All of them are on the payroll. All of our academics, all of our lawyers, our doctors, they're all being paid by the system, or as they used to say, by the man. And I've been thinking to myself, boy, I would really like to to do something with prayer that, you know, make sure that people really understand how to pray. And we've been talking about it. We've been talking about it. Whatsoever you wish for when you pray, believe that you've received it, you shall have it. I mean, that's it. And then you have to have the faith to pull this thing off, which is called clear the mechanism. Believe, clear the mechanism, believe in yourself. And I'm going through this thing like, you know, who, who am I? to propose prayer to the American people. Come on. Boy, is that presumptuous. But I know it needs to happen. I know we need to pray. So the voices inside my head and the voices of those people outside me that reflect that to me, that say, can't do that, oh, I'm going to do it. So I'm going to take an ancient prayer and I'm going to customize it for the American experience, the, the American ex- experience of today. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for the ability to tell day from night. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me in your image. Blessed are you, King and God of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for giving sight to the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for clothing the naked. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating heavens and earth. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my need. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for strengthening America with courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. And blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. And I've I've created this out of a tradition. And if you notice how it's composed, it claims the state that we're striving for. It's acknowledging that God is the king, hallowed be thy name. We're working on our faith muscle, clear the mechanism, and we're calling forth into reality those things that we need to get through this really intense, intense time in American history. And what is this really about? This is about populism. 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 And if you know anything about populism in our political elites and how they talk about it, it's viewed in a very disparaging way. If you listen to our elites talk about populism, they're always running it down like it's horrifying. Of course they are. 
because this is about power in the hands of the people. And the elites don't want that. They don't like that. They hate it. Tanner, let's just uh, play a little short here with Lindsey Graham at the Trump rally in Pickens, South Carolina. Watch him get booed off the stage. You know, I said we're going to watch Lindsey. Let's, uh, let's see how he's doing here. Welcome to Pickens. Thank y'all for coming. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you all for coming. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a bunch. Well, well, you want to find something in common? <laughs> all right. Thank you all. Thank you all very much. Wow. I didn't hear any clapping, did you? I didn't hear any cheering, did you? And, you know, Senator Graham is the senator from South Carolina, so he's got home court advantage. Oh, oh, I think the people in South Carolina have had about enough of Senator Graham getting behind every war and every expenditure since, you know, 2000 and Bush. That's who this guy is. And the people are waking up. The people are waking up. What's populism? Populism is a political approach that strives to appeal to ordinary ordinary people who feel that their concerns are disregarded by established elite groups. Again, a political approach that strives to appeal to ordinary people who feel that their concerns are disregarded by established elite groups. This is in the Webster Dictionary. Even the definition is disparaging. Because it says it's a political approach that strives to appeal to ordinary people. Like it's a pitch. Nah. Nah, that's kind of a bullshit story. Populism is when the people, that'd be you and me, the ordinary slugs that go to work every day and raise families and live paycheck to paycheck, like I do, like you do. You don't have any money in the bank. You know, wage slaves. Addicted to drugs, you know, our shit's getting taken away from us. You know, slavery, drugs, and piracy. The people that are on the bottom of the pyramid that are getting screwed, they all say, hey, hey, I'm going to wake up here. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to get divorced from this business model. And it's so appropriate to talk about this on the 4th of July because what's our Independence Day all about? It was about our forefathers looking at the business model that was imposed upon them by the crown and saying, hey, up yours. We're out. We're not doing this anymore. We're going to talk a little bit about today about how populist really was that movement. Because I'm going to say, in my opinion, looking at the history, the Declaration of Independence was not that populist. I'm talking about the signers and the people that put it together. They went and they appealed to the people because guess what they needed? They needed cannon fodder. But if you really look into the history of this um, great um, movement, which was the American Revolution, 
there was a lot of elitist elitism in this revolution. This was not solely a people's movement. And the reason why I say that is I'm just going to jump ahead. I'm going to jump ahead to the punchline because um, I think uh, of there was um, 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, 56 signers. And, you know, that's why we're having July 4th, right? And of those signers, depending on what source you go to, at least 25, if not 35, were lawyers. And when you get that many lawyers in a room, uh, it's not populist, okay? It's quite elitist. So, you know, we have uh, this tension between the, the elites and the people goes back to day one. Back to day one. And it's interesting how that works. Because when you got the crown and the American elites or the colonial elites, hey, compared to the, the crown, the colonial elites were very close to the population, to the populace, to populism. You know, they were, as I like to say, because I have a business and, you know, I'm trying to make it. I'm still trying to make it. I have hope. But I used to think, hey, don't mess with this system. I could be like, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos someday. And I've realized now that I have nothing in common with Jeff Bezos. I have much more in common with a cab driver. And that's what happens when things get really out of whack. We start to wake up people, and they recognize the gap between themselves and the elites is so great. You know, I'm just going to, you know, associate myself with the poorest among us. Because compared to Jeff Bezos, I'm much more similar to them than I am to Jeff Bezos. And I think that kind of happened at the time of the revolution. Our elites, our colonial elites, realized that compared to the power of the crown, these colonial elites were much closer uh, to the to the regular people. So it seemed like a populist revolution. It seemed that way. But really, it really wasn't that way. And as soon as the crown had been beaten off, that hierarchy was quickly established, and we've been dealing with this problem ever since. And here we are again in 2023 with elites that are completely divorced in their thinking and in their intention from the people. We're being ruled yet again. So populism, where the people stand up and use their constitutionally derived will, their their rights to determine their own future. Populism, oh boy, you just watch MSNBC. They talk about the populists like Trump. Trump is a populist. They talk about these people like they're just horrifying because the last thing the elites want is you and me to get off the bench and get in the game of politics because when that happens, they're fucked. Excuse me, I've used my swear word. But they will be absolutely screwed because our interests as the American people and their interests to parasitize us are in complete contradiction. We're about our own human well-being. We're about the well-being of our families and of all the people in our communities. Our elites about they're vampires. They want to suck our blood. It's very evident. We're seeing it. You, do you see it? I'm just going to just make a moment to think together. Do we all agree that our elites are completely full of it, and they just live off of us like vampires. Do you see that, or is it just me? Maybe I'm losing it. I'm looking forward to your your comments in the live chat because 
from where I'm coming from, I mean, hey, 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 come on. Come on. It's birth and death. In between, there's a series of diagnostic codes. Each diagnostic code has a revenue stream. That's what I see. Birth and death, a series of diagnostic codes, and a revenue stream that comes from a drug that is created to satisfy that diagnostic code. And we're all paying for it. It's a scam of intergalactic proportions. And I want to throw it off with you. And that's why they hate me, because we'll be tipping over their rice bowl, and they're going to fight us tooth and nail to stay at the top of the heap. And again, up yours. You don't deserve to be there because you don't care. I know you're watching me, right? Watch away. Because we're coming as the American people. And I'm going to ask you, please, people, send this out to hundreds of people. This is our human agency. You know, if we get out there and you take, and there's hundreds watching now, and there'll be thousands and then tens of thousands, and how are we going to get there? Well, we're going to promote the podcast. We have a lot of business strategies to do that. And as we gain skill, we're going to do it. But nothing is going to replace you. And it's not about, this is not, yes, we need, the patriot economy needs your support. We need money to make the movement work. That's why we're the patriot economy. We don't want to parasitize the people. We want the people to form their own, form their own political economy so we can push this thing ahead, so we can pull back some power from these vampires and really deal with the well-being of the American people, really have policies that are concerned about well-being, have politicians that we generate from within the movement that are concerned about our well-being. Hey, once we do that, these people are going to lose a lot of power, as well they should because they've abused their status and role as being quote-unquote elite. You know, there's an old saying, and I've said it before, you can't let the inmates run the asylum unless the doctors in charge are mass murderers. Then we got to have a popular uprising, and that's what we're doing here. This is not catering. This is not a political philosophy that caters to us, the people. It's a movement of the people. And when that happens, oh, oh, we're going to have some change, some well-needed and good change. And I see it, and I'm focused on it, and my mechanism is cleared, and I believe that I'm going to receive the strength and the well-being and the resources to pursue this with you. So please, please, if you like the content, send it out to the people you know and ask them to subscribe. Ask them to join the movement, free people. Ask them. You, It's you. You know, I'm talking to you. How many people can you talk to? I mean, that's what this is. That's what politics is. You know, I know people don't want to talk about, you know, religion and politics. But, hey, if we don't do it now, we're going to be doing it in a jail cell. So please, go to the people you know. We're trying to create a focus here, you know, an intellectual resource for you. Say, hey, check out this Free People of America group. You know, Royce White, Professor Penn, there's others of us. We're growing. Let us come together with ideas, ideas about human well-being, and let's proliferate those ideas and overwhelm these elites that are basically vampires. 
They're sucking the blood of the sufferers. You know, Trump is a phenomenal populist. Phenomenal. He's a phenomenal populist. And we know that. He just at that that rally where 55,000 people were booing Leslie Graham, who is the opposite of a populist. He's an opportunist and he's an elite. And uh, we see Leslie Graham involved in the Congress, and he's pontificating, and he's on television all the time. And 55,000 people came to that rally and booed him off the stage. They booed him off the stage. They didn't want to hear what he had to say because he knows that when he's talking, he's lying. When he's moving his lips, he's lying. At least that's how the people think about it because he's for Trump. He's against Trump. He acts like a Democrat. He acts like a Republican. We don't know who he is. Because he's on both sides of the football all the time. And I have to say to Senator Graham, we don't know when your heart's going to change, like Congressman Emmer. You know, all of us have a heart that can be changed. If we clear the mechanism and allow it to be changed, any of these people can jump up and become champions of the people's movement if their heart is moved and they give up their gig in show business. Because that's what's going to be required. For Senator Graham, do you really think he's going to get reelected in South Carolina with that kind of popular resistance? Well, let me tell you, why he continues in the way that he does is because you are not involved in your local party. You have not gone and joined your party. You're not a delegate. You know, you haven't figured out how political power works here. And that's something we're going to be delving into heavily. What is this secret society called politics really all about? And what it's really all about is, is taking the people like you and me who are interested in the future of our country, in the well-being of our families, in the well-being of our communities, and grinding us to dust so that's what they call special interests, which is another word of saying the money, the people who have the real money, the billionaires, and there's a lot of them and come into our states and manipulate the political process using money to elect their candidates that do their bidding. So in other words, a handful of people, and I know you know this, a handful of people manipulate the system so that the diagnostic codes continue, so people continue to get sick, and they can continue to parasitize the people by providing the drugs, for example, or the credit cards at 20% interest, or whatever it is that turns us into slaves, debt slaves, or sufferers who need drugs, or just people that have their shit taken away from them, slavery, drugs, and piracy. The people that benefit from that business model, the people at the top of the pyramid, they're going to win until you and I find a way to be part of this movement. As I said, you can go into the party, you can write a check, doesn't have to be big. It could be $5. But to the people that are about human well-being, or you're out there spreading out the podcast, continuously being a force multiplier, talking about this, sending it out, directing people to the media that you know is valuable and important. That's how we're going to win this. And when I say win it, what is winning? All winning means is, is we operationalize the Constitution of the United States, which gives power to the people. All we have to do is vote intelligently, participate in the parties intelligently, and wrest control back away from these monsters, these vampires 
that manipulate the system for their own benefit. Great. There's a handful of them. They're dependent on me being stupid. I am stupid no more. They're dependent on you being stupid and lazy. No, this is a secret society here in the Professor Penn podcast where we're going to thank God for giving strength to the weary so that we have the, the energy that's required to get involved in politics while we run our families and operate as, as, as husbands and wives and parents and employees of companies or owners of companies. We need extra energy to do this, and we thank God for giving it to us. Because why are we doing it? We're doing it for him. Hallowed be your name. And when you align yourself with the Father of all creation, hey, you're going to get some, you're going to get a jolt. Now, you can't do it on the cheap, right? You can't say, I'm for you, and then continue your addiction to sin. You got to work towards devoting yourself. You can't be on both sides of the football. That's what I'm working on. Come on. I'm a human being. I've got all kinds of hangups, but I'm trying to get myself all collected mechanism cleared on one side of the football so that I am worthy of your time, so that I'm worthy of your attention. Because it's not I. It's the ideas that are coming through me to you. And if you can take those ideas and spread them out, this isn't going to take very long. God, would I like to be alive and see the look on these people's faces. Because let me tell you, as I'm going to talk about over the next few podcasts, I know who these sons of bitches are. I actually have the misfortune of meeting them. And boy, they aren't hiding. They don't believe in God. They do not believe in God. They don't want God. They do believe in eugenics. And they told me, whoa, can you believe that? So we're going to go over some of these stories because, you know, uh, I have things to share with you. Andrew Jackson. Whoa, there's a great populist. Andrew, have you heard of President Andrew Jackson? Please go back. Go to Wikipedia and read about him. We need to understand who our heroes are. Now, when you go back and read about Jackson, they say he's a terrible guy. And, you know, probably some terrible things happened under Andrew Jackson. In fact, I know they did. The danger of populism is... uh, you know, genocide, for example, or, um, you know what? There's dangers all the time, everywhere. You have to stay dedicated to the father of all creation. And if you're a woman that's listening to me say this, I don't know how to talk about the gender of God. Forgive me. In my generation, we talked about God as if he was male. God is male and female. God's everything. I don't want to delve into that kind of theological talk today. But however you need to think about something that is beyond human understanding, do your best. Give it your best shot, because I can't conceive it. It's beyond, human con- it's beyond human conception. And Andrew Jackson went off the rails in some of the things that he did, but Andrew Jackson led a great populist movement. He was a reaction that Jefferson started, remember Jefferson, that was anti-federalist. The, the great leader of the Federalists, which was Hamilton, These names, these are the heroes of our country. you got to know the history. Please, Hamilton, Jefferson, Jackson, take you 10 minutes to read about it instead of whatever else. Jackson was was, uh, uh, reacting against the the Federalists. 
you know, Hamilton believed that when we had a president, they should be president for life, like a king. You know, that's that's just reproducing that system. There was a lot of elitism amongst our quote-unquote founding fathers. As I said, at least half of them were attorneys, lawyers. That's all you need to know. Experts in the law. They weren't the regular people. They were educated, and they were already perverted by their education. Yes, I said that. You get perverted by your education. You have to stay simple in your heart when you become an educated, or you're going to start to think you're all that. And as soon as you make that move, you're screwed. You've, you've, you can no longer clear your mechanism because you're listening to yourself. Okay, don't do that. We want to listen to ourselves, but we want to listen to it within the context of God directs our path. So Jackson came along, and he, he was really, uh, really a populist. Uh, he was fighting, uh, you know, this uh, kind of elitism. There was a Speaker of the House, Henry Clay, and Clay had come up with what he called the American system, and it was a governmental commitment to public works to pull the nation up from the government on down, hey, just like we got today. We've had them for a long time. You know, uh, federal support for roads and bridges. He wanted a national university. He wanted a national bank. Henry Clay, you've heard his name before, and if you hadn't, look him up. He was Speaker of the House, and there was a contested election. Uh, and, you know, uh, much like President Trump, it went into the House, and Clay made sure that Adams was the president, and the elitist won. And Jackson, you know, Jackson went nuts. In the 1824 presidential election, he got screwed. He spent the next four years talking about being screwed. And he came back four years later, and he won the election, and he brought forth a wave of populism. And uh, that populism include, you know, the distribution of land at low prices, and he lowered tariffs, and he tried to make life better for the people. He tried to make the well-being of the people. And Now, there are certain other people, like the Native Americans, nah, he was not into that. So he was a little bit incomplete in his populism. It was populism for me and not for thee, and that's a problem. And we're Americans, and we're humans, and we're not perfect. That's a beautiful thing about time. We get smarter. We get more sensitive. We can reflect back on the errors of our forefathers, and we can improve. Yes, we can improve. But Jackson was a great populist, great prop, great populist. And why I'm bringing up his name is not to delve into it. Time is short today, but for that, for you to go back and read about Jackson, for you to go back and read about Henry Clay, who was his big opponent, learn our history. When we steep ourselves in the history of the country, we have an investment in our country. If you don't invest in the history, then guess who wins? Mr. History doesn't matter. Remember the Three Stooges? He's my favorite stooge. Mr. History doesn't matter. Because as long as you think it, you know, if you don't study the history, you're agreeing with them. He's just kind of uh, reflecting that back to you. You know, making sure your mechanism is not working. Remember, he said to me, and to a group of people, history doesn't matter. And because you're not reading history or I'm not reading history, he's winning. And that allows that group of people to continue to manipulate us. We need to learn that our formation of government, 
was anti-empire and pro-individual. It depends and is set up for we the people to run this government. We're the government. Why is it screwed up? We're not running it. We're letting the elites run it. No different than the monarchy ran the colonies. Nothing's really changed. That's why it's so screwed up. You know, we tend to look at our elites like they're smarter than us. And they do think they're smarter than us, and they tell us they're smarter than us. And they are educated. Educated in what? What are they educated in? They're educated in everything that is against 100,000 years of human experience. They're against faith. I mean, they just come right out and tell you. They told me. I just went to a recent event. They told me, hey, we're against that. Okay. They're very clear about what they believe. We're not clear about what we believe. We send our kids to their institutions, and they teach our kids to hate us. And they do. They hate us. You know, they teach us that we're, you know, Luddites and people of faith, stupid, clinging to our guns and our Bibles, like Obama said. These people are assholes. They really are assholes. They hate us. They hate we the people. And I'll tell you why they hate us. They fear us. And what do they fear? They fear us just getting involved in politics and throwing the bums out. Like what they really fear is we take their money away from them. Kind of level the playing field. That's why there's so much in the Republican Party all against communism. But remember our elites, they'll be communists or socialists. They'll be liberals or Nazis. They don't care what ism they use. Liberalism, Nazism, communism, socialism. They don't care what political ideology they use to maintain their control. They'll use anything. But in our party, like the my party where I'm an officer, they're, oh, that sounds very communist. Are you a communist, Professor Penn? No, I believe in God. And whatever I have to do to maintain faith in God, I'm going to do it. And here's why they hate me. Even if that means stripping away their wealth and redistributing it to we the people. Sounds like communism. No, it's not. It's penalizing them for robbing us. Like if you're a criminal, right? You're a criminal. Criminal. And you get caught and convicted. You have to pay restitution. You have to pay back the victims of your crimes. You know, it's called reparations. Oh, they don't like that word around the Republican Party. Reparations. Hey, up yours. You've robbed us. You've made us sick. You've imprisoned us in a bunch of lies. And you want to get away with this. And the way you get away with it is we're too stupid or too lazy to get up off the couch and confront you. Well, guess what? We still have freedom of the press. We have a champion now in Elon Musk. And I'm not saying he's a champion. I'm saying of the press. He is fighting for freedom of speech for whatever reason. And I'm not saying I trust Elon Musk. But he's definitely on the freedom of the press issue. He's defending it on Twitter. The word is spreading. The word is spreading. Spread it out. That's what this battle's all about. 
there's a uh, 600 and some people watching these podcasts. Now I look at the data. They, the people that are watching this, they're watching the whole podcast and they're watching it with great regularity. Please, for the people that view this as a worthy investment of your time, this is not about me. This is about you. Use this material and spread it to the people that you know and love. Let's turn this into 6 million people. Hey, and when we do that, We'll do whatever we need to do to maintain faith in God and freedom. Just like they're going to do whatever they have to do to keep us in prison. So up yours, we're coming. It's a battle of the wills, and it's not my will you fight, but the will of my Father. So fuck off. Two times today. I'm pissed about these people. I really am. And I'll tell you why I'm pissed about it. I'm terrified of them. They're evil. I'm a really good person and a simple person. The people that we're fighting, you and I, they're evil, they're organized, and they'll stop at nothing to maintain their power. I'm afraid of them. As well, you should be and I should be. So let's form a community, and let's just flood the zone with truth, and let's limit these people so that they can no longer harm us. Populists. Lots of populists. You know, we talked about George Wallace, and I've made the statement. I can't believe I'm talking about George Wallace. I was alive when George Wallace was around. A greater racist and segregationist, hard to find. I mean, there's a whole bunch of them, but he's in the pantheon of racists. He's right up there. But when Lyndon Johnson um, took the Democratic Party into a civil rights mode, because remember, the whole South, the whole slavery enterprise was a Democrat Party deal. These were Democrats. You know, the people that broke off and formed the Confederacy? Democrats. The people that owned slaves? Democrats. In fact, they had a word for them. Dixiecrats. Down in the land of Dixie. Democrats. And the Democrat Party had figured out, you know, through successive waves of immigration, where the Republican Party, the root of which was the know-nothings and the Whigs, rejected every immigrant group because they were, you know, they were their own kind of weird-ass racists anti-Semites, anti-Catholics, anti-Irish, anti-Italian, because, you know, the country was just for a certain kind of people. These people were also goofy, just like the Dixiecrats were. When Johnson took the, and this had been brewing since Truman, okay, and probably before, going back, the Democrats had noticed that every time the Republicans rejected a, a wave of immigrants, they had some sure votes that they could rely on if they just put a chicken in every pot. And that became their politics. So when Johnson said, hey, you know what, let's broaden this out to black people, whoa, that was a bridge too far for the Dixiecrats. And they broke off. They broke off. They said, screw you up, yours, Democrat Party. And and George Wallace was their champion. Owen Strom Thurmond and Richard Russell, there was a whole pantheon of racists that led these people. But George Wallace ran for president in 68, and he became the the spokesperson of the lightning rod of the Democrats who became disaffected with the Democrat Party because the Democrat Party now sought to put the black people under its control, the government control, to secure ongoing and forever election success. They wanted to get these people on a new plantation. And guess what? They succeeded. Too much for the white racists down south. 
They flipped out. And George Wallace was their populist champion. Remember what Wallace said? You can go back and look it up. There isn't, but a di- there's not a dime's worth of difference between these two parties. Every time I quote him, I freak out because, you know, George Wallace was kind of a, not kind of, he was a reprehensible figure. But it does demonstrate that there was populism. And this is why populism is discredited by our elites because we get these populist waves that are associated with really, like Andrew Jackson, the Trail of Tears. I mean, this guy, he went to work hammer and tong on the Native Americans. So he gets discredited for that. Wallace, because he was a racist, discredited. Trump, discredited because he was a racist. Or is, 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 is fenced as a racist. You know, uh, populism doesn't have to appeal to nativism racism, anti-Semitism, doesn't have to. It has in the past, and that's why there's been um, uh, these um, justifiable negative critiques of populism. You know, and it's my theory, and it's my hope, that the people that are watching this, we're understanding that we're Americans. We're just Americans, that we're all Americans that we've reached a point in American history that we're becoming, you know, colorblind and and uh, less prone to racial and religious animus. Why do we have racial and religious animus? Because these same elites foster it in us so that our righteous indignation and anger doesn't become focused on their manipulation of the system. So they manipulate us to hate each other over racial and religious differences, balkanizing us into little tribes that hate each other and go to war each other. And while we're at, at war with each other, they just continue their scam of diagnostic codes and revenue streams, and they just screw us while we're hating each other. In other words, they redirect our anger away from them, the rulers, the billionaires, that have manipulated our political system for their benefit and for our detriment. They have manipulated the political system for their benefit and our detriment. And they get us to hate each other, and then they discredit the populist or the movement of the people because we hate each other. So they cause the very hatreds. They cause them and exacerbate them through media of all kinds. They cause it, and then they use that racial and religious hatred to discredit any movement of the people. I mean, these people are sophisticated. That's why I'm afraid of them, because they know what they're doing. So we're going to have to, if we're ever going to get out of this spot and have broad-based well-being and prosperity for our families, we're going to have to stop letting them make us hate each other. We're going to have to realize that a black man, a white man, American Indian woman, a religious Catholic, all of us, we're much more like each other than we are like a billionaire who has an incredible amount of money that they can dump into our states to manipulate our system. You know, you're going to hear this thing. Let's just have a short digression into politics and Minnesota and every other state. You're going to hear this. 
We need better candidates. We need better candidates. We got to have better candidates. That's on the Republican side. Because what they're saying is, we need to blunt this populism that's associated with Trump. Trump can't get elected. America First candidates can't get elected. Well, why can't they get elected? Is because the elites pour billions of dollars into seeing that they can't get elected. They spend billions of dollars manipulating the system because if the people get into power, they're going to throw these bums out. We're going to take their money away from them. Let me tell you what this game is really all about. That's a pregnant pause. There's going to be a calamity coming up here. It's going to be a financial calamity. One of two things is going to happen. Either we're going to lose all of our money or we're going to take all their money to plug the hole. The hole's there. We're just papering it over right now. That hole's going to get filled by someone's net worth. There's a guarantee on the hole, right? The banks are going to get paid. That's just the way it is. So who's going to pay it off? Who's going to pay that debt down? Well, the elites, they're going to take it from us. They are taking it from us. It's called inflation. Pay up yours. How about we just take it from the elites? Oh, it's communism. We can't talk about that. You know, I know I'm getting out there. We'll, we'll work on, on these ideas over time. It's not communism. That's not communism. That's how they're going to paint what I'm saying so that they take our money instead of their money. Somebody's money's going to get robbed here in piracy to fill this hole in. It's coming. And that's what everybody's fighting about. So when you hear this thing, we need better candidates. What they're saying is no candidates that believe in God, no candidates that believe in the people. Better candidates, that means where the money's going to go from the elites so that they can pervert the process to be sure that when the crisis comes, I'm paying the bill and you're paying the bill. Just think about it that way. It's a battle over whose money gets robbed. Who's in control is going to say where the money comes from. That's it. It's very simple. Think about it that way. There's a hole. Somebody's going to fill it. Maybe it could be a combination of everybody. I'm not saying there isn't a workaround or a compromise, but the way these sons of bitches think about it is they're keeping all of theirs and taking all of ours. That's what the Great Reset, that's the Great Reset, right? The Great Reset, they just go right online and look at it. You'll be happy and you'll own nothing. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Oh, really? That's a bullshit story. That's not the way life works. In fact, according to traditional Chinese medicine, as I've said, the three emptying factors which lead to death. Having nothing is number one. So let me just ask you. Do you think you're going to be happy when you have nothing? I mean, nothing. Look at the people that have nothing. Are they acting happy? Hell no, they're burning the place down. They're filled with rage. And of course, our elites direct it racially, like it's a racial struggle. Fuck off. That's three times. That's how mad I am, which is an indication of how afraid I am. Because if we don't send this podcast out and we don't start forming this political community, we don't get clear about what's happening and get involved in the game, get off the couch, they're going to take everything we have. They have no qualms about it. 
They don't care. I'll tell you how they think about it. They think we're stupid. And if we're stupid enough to let them take everything we have, they go to the bar and laugh about it and say, we pants those dummies. That's how they think about it. Unbelievable, isn't it? They don't have a shred of altruism or decency. Not a shred. It's all about them. Well, let's just listen to what some of our elites have to say about these things. We have a large public that is very ignorant about public affairs and very susceptible to simplistic slogans by candidates who appear out of nowhere, have no track record, but mouth-appealing slogans. Guess who said that? Zygmunt Brzezinski, the elitist of the elite, Harvard-educated, Harvard faculty, national security advisor under Carter, student of Henry Kissinger, and primary architect of the New World Order, a member of the Trilateral Commission. I mean, each one of these things is a full podcast. Go look it up, please. Zygmunt Brzezinski. You can't get any more elitist than Zygmunt Brzezinski. His entire life's work was how the elites could take advantage of the populace and govern them for maximum efficiency and effectiveness. A technocrat of the highest order. Up yours. His daughter is on MSNBC Morning Joe. She couldn't, there is not a more important a purveyor of lies than Mika Brzezinski. And his son is ambassador to Poland right now. Poland, right on the border of Russia. I wonder what kind of horseshit he's up to. Well, I don't wonder. I know because I read what he writes. There's another podcast. Interesting, isn't it? They tell you. They write down what they think. They write it down. We don't have to wonder. They tell us. Brzezinski co-founded the Trilateral Commission with David Rockefeller. The Rockefellers. Oh, look them up. Remember they funded the Nazis? Serving as director from 1973 to 1976. The Trilateral Commission is a group of prominent political and business leaders and academics, primarily from the United States, Western Europe, and Japan. This is a former, a forerunner of the World Economic Forum. Its purpose was to strengthen relations relations among the three most industrial advanced regions in the capitalist world. When China came up later on, they had to come up with a new organization, you know, the World Economic Forum. It's unbelievable. Now, let's try somebody else. If we put our trust in the common sense of common men and with malice towards none and charity to all, go forward on a great adventure of making political economic and social democracy, a practical reality, we shall not fail. I'm going to try it again. If we put our trust in the common sense of common men and, quote, with malice towards none and charity for all, unquote, going forward on the great adventure of making political, economic, and social democracy a practical reality, we shall not fail. And who said this? Henry Wallace. We've talked about him. He was actually the vice president of the United States under Franklin Delano Roosevelt in 1940. He was a communist, or at least a far lefty of the highest order. I mean, he believed with malice towards none and charity for all. He had a spiritual orientation towards politics, which, of course, the eugenicists say, you know, there is no spiritual. 
So they just kind of dismiss it out of hand. Wallace was a great man. Uh, he was very unceremoniously dumped by Jimmy Burns and the technocrats and the warmongers of the Democrat Party in the 1944 presidential convention. He could have been the vice president when Roosevelt died. And had he been, we would have never had the Cold War because he was anti-war to the max. He was pro-human well-being to the max. He was a very successful man. He was a good man. And they turned him into nothing because he was not about those diagnostic codes and revenue streams. He was about human well-being, generated from within the people. So they got rid of him. They put the haberdasher in there, Harry Truman, and guess what? They dropped the bomb, which is the ultimate Damocles sword of the scientific revolution. And here we are in 2023, and not much has changed except the technology to kill each other has improved fantastically, and there hasn't been much work on the technology of man. In fact, we've gone downhill because they've made us dumber, and they've really undermined our faith in every way they can. Up yours, we're coming back. It's called a comeback. Facts waxes, you know, faith waxes and wanes. Everything waxes and wanes. It's time for a revival. Oh, here's another one. Now listen to this guy. Populists and national socialists look at the supposedly secret deals that run the world behind the scenes. This is child's play, except that childishness is sinister in adults. Who said this? Christopher Hitchens. Who's Christopher Hitchens? An English-American author and journalist who is widely regarded as one of the most influential atheists of the 20th and 21st century. Of course, he's an atheist. He has no faith. He doesn't see conspiracies. He doesn't see conspiracies against faith. What he sees is there's no God. So, of course, he's throwing in with the elites because those of us that believe in God, we're stupid. We're dummies. We're du and you know, interesting about Hitchens, he started out as a far lefty. Later in his life, he became aligned with the conservative movement, which means that in our conservative movement, there's a lot of atheists, a lot of science-based people, people that believe in eugenics. That's why the Republican Party is at war with itself. We have a populist group that believes in God, and we've got a scientific group that believes in the military-industrial complex. The Republican Party is on both sides of the football. The Democrat Party, they're all one side of the football, all of them. They're all over there. They're, they know who they are. The Republican Party, that's where the fight is. That's where the fight is. Fight on. Fight on, okay? Put your armor on hold. Let's fight on. Let's fight on constitutionally with eloquent oratory. Let us convince the people around us that there is a world of spirit that we don't understand, and we need to pay attention to it. If we care about human well-being. See, I'm trying to create a new framework for talking about it. Well-being. Let's talk about well-being. Oh, here's another one. Another one. Political populism always poses a great danger because it disorients people, creates excessive expectations, or, on the contrary, prioritizes objectives that are clearly not priorities or are simply impossible to achieve. And who said this? Vladimir Putin. 
who I've spoken of, you know, not reverentially, but I've said some positive things about him lately. It doesn't mean he's positive. I've said that all the time. I'm not a Putin supporter. This man's an authoritarian. He's at the top of the heap. He's a super elitist. He doesn't want power to the people. Shit. Look at Russia. That's the problem with Russia. There's no democracy there. I mean, there's no republic there. There's no political process through which the people can participate in a meaningful way. Of course he's against populism. Puts a bad name on it. He doesn't want you and me to be involved in politics. He wants to rule us. He wants to serve us shit and tell us it's caviar, and he wants us to enjoy it. Here's another guy. Great. The problem is some of the populism on both the far left and the far right. The problem is some of the populism on both the far left and the far right. They could make a tweet but not make a policy. In other words, dummies. And you know, when you are dealing with issues that are as important as serious as this, I understand why people search for simple solutions. You know, the solutions are simple. They make it complicated to maintain their power. Who said this? Former Prime Minister of England, Tony Blair. A greater globalist could not be found. As a matter of fact, Tanner, can you play this clip where Tony Blair defends the World Economic Forum in Davos? Let me ask you finally, it's our final question about the point of Davos all these years later. You know very well that Davos is considered the sort of hobnobbing of the elite, the very people who threw so many millions of people around the world into the calamity that they find themselves in now and led to the rise of populism. Let me just play you this little soundbite from uh, a guy who's kind of gone viral right now, Anand Girdadas, who's just written this book, you know, Winner Takes All, The Charade of the Global Elites. Look what he just told me. I think Davos should end. I think it should be canceled this year and, and should, should end going forward. It is a family reunion for the people who, in my view, broke the modern world. I mean, you can't argue with that, right? I can. <laughs> Look, it's the easiest line in the world to make, by the way. You know, I tell you what I do when I come to Davos. So later today, I'll be meeting three of my presidents from Africa. I don't think they broke the economic system. I'll be meeting a whole lot of people from multilateral institutions who work in the developing world. I'm here because my institute, which is a not-for-profit institute, works in, in some of the poorest parts of the world trying to help them. And, you know, to be fair, the people who come here, they're discussing serious issues. So it's the easiest play in the world. Say, oh, you know, all these people are coming along here, the global elite and so on. And by the way, you know, these arguments about cultural identity and nationalism, in my experience, you've got elites on either side of the argument. So, you know, Davos, it is what it is. It's, it's, it's an opportunity for people to come and network on issues of importance. And, you know, some people, um, you know, may come here who are billionaires from different parts of the world, but other people come because some of the issues that they're discussing here are important. Anytime you hear someone say it is what it is, they're saying, hey, there's nothing you can do about it. Hey, up yours, Tony Blair. You're defending a system that is advertising. You can go look it up online. You'll owe nothing and you'll be happy. World Economic Forum. These people are just communists, and it's run by the Chinese, okay? Uh, Tony Blair, and you, did you listen to Christine Amapour? She's trying to get on the other side of it, but she's saying that, you know, the 
Her theory of the case is, if you would listen to it again, is that the elites have made some errors, and that's given rise to populism. And, oh, oh, populism is horrible. You see, these people have associated populism with racism and anti-Semitism. That may have been true on previous populist movements. And if you're a racist and you're an anti-Semite and you're in this movement, please put those cudgels down because this is not about race and it's not about Jewish. This is about very wealthy people, Chinese, anti-Jews, anti-Catholics. They're not, you know, people that have faith don't act like this. Acting the way our elites are acting is an anathema to people of faith. This is really what binds us together is faith, not hating each other. They want us, and they're going to continue to make us hate each other, and that's going to make us ineffective. And then they're going to tell us that the reason we hate each other is because we're populists and that our leaders are making us populist. Populism is anti-Semitic, anti-Semitic, such bullshit. But there is some truth in it because that has been characteristic of some of the populist movements of the past. We got to put this down. We've got to be focused on being Americans. That's why I read that prayer at the beginning. We're Americans. <clears throat> this is July 4th. This is the day when we celebrate our independence from empire. We're bound together by a set of ideas which empower individual sovereignty that protect us from empire and from the tyranny of the majority. That's what this is all about. That's cool. That means I get to be a free person. Truth media plus the patriot economy equals freedom. Let's focus on being together in faith. That'll mess them up. Got one more for you. Like this one because it's local. For all my friends in Minnesota, Donald Trump is using an age-old trick of right-wing populism, much like George Wallace, much like Joe McCarthy. Pitchfork Ben Tillman, who in the 1880s and 1890s was a rabid, hateful racist who whipped up hate and hysteria for his own political benefit. That'd be our Attorney General, Keith Ellison. See, these people are using the racial animus and religious animus of previous populist movements to discredit Donald Trump and the current populism. This is a lie. Don't play into it. If you're on the fence, come join us. You know, for those of us that are in this movement, we're not going to convince these rabid eugenicists to give up their faith in science, the rightfulness that they have to manipulate the future of the human species. We're not going to convince those people. They're Satanists. Let them do their thing. We need the people in the middle who really don't understand this history. They don't understand this philosophy. We have to explain it to them. That's why I'm doing this podcast. So painful stakingly going through some of this history so that we understand where these ideas come from. Let us not allow the elites to discredit us. I mean, really, I'm an anti-Semite. Come on. I'm Jewish. I speak Hebrew. This is retarded, right? I, I can talk to these people because what they're saying is, does not apply to me. I can't be an anti-Semite. I love the Jewish people because I love myself. I love my history. I love my traditions. I love Jesus Christ, a Jew. Oh, they hate him specially. Oh, especially they hate him. You know, 
can't speak against me as an anti-Semite. I'm not. But I'm going to speak against your use of anti-Semitism to control this dialogue and label Americans as anti-Semites. Same thing goes for Royce White. You're going to call Royce White a white supremacist? A six foot eight black man? Come on. It's ridiculous. That's why Royce is such an important leader of this movement, because they can't discredit him. They can't steal his voice with allegations of racism. It just doesn't work. He is an ardent black nationalist. Come on. More of us are coming up. It's gonna it's going to cross circuit. It's going to it's gonna defeat their narrative that they've been using for decades that populism equals anti-Semitism and racism. Because what they're saying is, is uneducated people are stupid and they're prone to be racist and anti-Semitic. That's a lie. We're prone to be Americans. We're prone to have families. We're prone to love our children. We're prone to love our jobs. We're prone to love our neighbors. We're prone to have limited ambition. We're prone not to play into the bullshit that they're putting upon us. We might be prone to start to eat healthy food and quit buying the crap that they're feeding us. We're prone to look for a different kind of doctrine and a different kind of lawyering that makes us well instead of parasitizing us. Oh, they don't like that. That might make them poor. Oh, and that's what they're afraid of more than anything else because all their self-worth, such as it is, comes from the money that they count in their bank accounts. You know, my self-worth doesn't come from that. Does yours? Do you feel good about yourself because the money that you earn or that you saved? I mean, it might be some security if you have it. And if you have it, I salute you. That's great. We're working for security. But does the money that I've earned in my life make me a good person? No. That is a means to being a good person. So simple. Our values are screwed up, and they're screwed up on purpose. Remember we played all those videos of uh, Greed is Good with Gordon Gekko? Hey, we've been, we've been propagandized. William Casey will know our disinformation program is correct when everything the American people believe is a lie. It goes very deep. We're suspended in a culture of lies. We're truth media. We're searching for a better truth. The law, the law, we live in the rule of law. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Hey, please pass out this uh, podcast because that's what we're doing. We're talking about the law. Our modern rule of law is based on the Old Testament. That's when law got codified. When I say codified, there had been law before there was a, a book that codified it. We know that there's law. There's a natural law, and there's a spiritual law that goes with it. We know that there's a survival of the fittest, and we know treat others as we wish to be treated. Those are the great yin-yang of the law. It's very simple. There's survival of the fittest. Treat others as we wish to be treated. There you go. 
If you could mix those two things together in a way that's meaningful for yourself, you become a conscious person. I think it was uh, Maimonides who said, if I am not for myself, who will be? But if I am only for myself, what am I? Same idea. Same idea. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's law number one. Law number two, love your neighbor as yourself. There are no commandments greater than these. You know, we've got a rule book. We just don't use it. They make it so complicated. They make it so complicated. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do unto you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Hey, it's not very complicated. Think before you act. Are what you're doing, is that something you would want done to you? Come on. This is not com- They make it complex. They make it complex to justify their education, to make me feel stupid. I've heard this my whole life. Up yours. This is not complex. When I think about it, the scam here is so deep. It's just, it's just obscuring a simple truth. Treat others as we wish to be treated. Okay, we work for there. That's about well-being. Because I don't want anybody to treat me in a way that, you know, deteriorates my well-being. So I'm going to treat other people to enhance their well-being. If we all start treating each other to help each other get healthier, hey, boy, that's not going to be a bad deal, is it? That's kind of a good thing. Kind of a good thing. But these lawyers... These lawyers and this law, everything's got a yin and a yang to it. We live under the law. But you see, human agency, human beings can get into any system and pervert it, make it complex. As I said, if you go read the federalregister.gov or you go to the websites and you start downloading these bills and these acts, you're not going to understand anything. They're actually written in a way that makes them impenetrable. That's a scam, right? Complete scam. Law schools, a scam of the highest order. I interact with lawyers all the time. There's some very ethical and religious lawyers. They're wonderful. They're interpreters of the holy law. You know, there's an old story about a guy. He went before a judge. The judge gave him a favorable ruling. The guy said, oh, this is the greatest judge in the world. A couple years later, he has another case, goes before the same judge. The judge rules against him. Oh, this judge is an asshole. The guy's an asshole, okay? The judge is doing the best he can to do the work of creation, to adjudicate disputes so that there isn't violence. Truth, justice, peace go together. But when the law schools are perverse and they turn out perverse lawyers with perverse ideologies, we have a breakdown in rule of law. So we have great attorneys out there that are wonderful, and we have assholes that pervert the law for their own self-benefit. Let's find the good ones and strengthen them. They're out there. We need to know who they are. We, the people, need to get involved in our local elections where judges get elected, and we don't know who they are. We just check the box. No, we're going to have to be full spectrum. Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? It is. Being free is a responsibility. 
making a free world for your children. That's work. That's work. We, we're not doing the work. We're turning the work over to assholes. Hey, if they were doing a good job and life was going nicely, we could go about our business. But we've trusted our elites, and they've let us down. So now we're going to have to course correct by getting involved ourselves. That's populism. Without racism, without anti-Semitism, we're going to have to go into the law and refresh it. Sounds like a lot. But let's remember, on this holy day, July 4th, that we got divorced from empire. That there were 56 signers of a legal document, the Declaration of Independence. Every one of these 56 people has a story. Go look them up. John Hancock, Massachusetts. New Hampshire. Bartlett and Whipple and Thornton. Rhode Island. Hopkins and Ellery, Connecticut, Sherman, Huntington, Williams, Wolcott, New York, Floyd, Livingston, Lewis, Morris, New Jersey, Stockton, Witherspoon, Hopkinson, Hart and Clark, Pennsylvania, Morris, Rush, Franklin, Morton, Clymer, Smith, Taylor, Wilson, and Ross, Delaware, Rodney, Reed, and McKean, Maryland, Chase, Paca, Stone, Carroll, Virginia, Wythe, Lee, Jefferson, Harrison, Nelson, Lee, and Braxton, North Carolina, Hooper, Hughes, and Penn, South Carolina, Rutledge, Hayward, Lynch, and Middleton, Georgia, Gwinnett, Hall, and Walton. 56 signers and at least 25 were attorneys. Tanner, can you put up this picture of the yin-yang symbol? You see that picture? That's Chinese philosophy. The white part with the black dot, okay? That black dot, and then the white dot in the black side. Let's talk about this. Call the black black. It's it's bad. It's it's it's, it's darkness. But in that darkness, there's a light. And in the light, there's darkness. And these things are always moving and changing. This is the beauty of this philosophy. It takes a long time to understand it. Right now, we're living in the dark. But there's, a, there's light in that dark, and that light is getting stronger every day. It can transform the dark into light. And when we've accomplished that, there's still going to be that blackness in that light. This is the cycle of humanity. It's our great opportunity and blessing at this time in, univ- in human history to take that blackness and bring the light into it. That's what I'm doing with you. That's what you're doing when you're listening. That's what you're doing when you spread it out. We're bringing light to darkness. And it's about our human will. So let's look at the great movement of all time. We were born in darkness, in empire. And we brought light to that darkness. That was the July 4th, 1776. The signers had the courage to create light and darkness. Now, They were pretty elitist in the formation of our government. It was very elitist. You know, I don't know if you know this, but originally senators, they were not elected by the people. They were elected by the state legislatures. And these states, boy, they're corrupt. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm in Minnesota. I even know who the corrupt people are that run the deal. I mean, I know them not by inference. I actually know them. And that's not me being proud of it. 
I know him because I'm supposed to report back, back to you, as we're going to talk about in an upcoming podcast. God's given me the opportunity to see this so that I can interpret it back. It's one thing when it's a conspiracy theory. When it's a fact, when you see it for yourself, when you do it for yourself, I've seen it for myself. I'm not talking about it as if. I've seen it for myself. And so, you know, so I can report it to you. So our, our country started, we, we brought light to the darkness. But the people that did that, they set the thing up so it was pretty damn elitist, okay? They set it up for their own benefit. The elites of our colonial enterprise said, hey, I don't like the split, crown. We want a redress of grievances. And the crown said, hey, we're fighting the French. We got all this stuff. We got empire. We're taking your shit. We need it. You're with us, aren't you? We're all one family. And the colonialists said, no, nah, no, nah, I don't think so. We don't want to be part of your empire. We're going to start our own empire. That's what these people were doing. They found themselves on a great continent, see the shining sea with lots of natural resources. They said, you know what? We're going to do our own thing. But they basically reproduced the same system of slavery, drugs, and piracy. And slowly over time, we the people have been using the mechanism they gave us which justified their rebellion. They had to justify their rebellion. They had to justify their rebellion. So they set up a mechanism, just like the crown paid in the 1880s for a story that justified their business model. That would be Darwin and Galton and Spencer. Our elites justified their rebellion by setting up a constitution and we, the people, can use that Constitution to gain our freedom from this business model. So we've been slowly moving in that direction. On June 4th, 19, no, what was the first one, the big one? It's called the Civil War. The slaves were set free. It didn't end slavery because we got wage slavery now. But as Royce White reminded me, and I, I agree with him, wage slavery is a step up from chattel slavery. It is. And uh, there's more free will in chattel slavery. So the first big movement forward was the end of slavery in 1865 when the, when the South was defeated. On June 4th, these are all dates that are part of this July 4th celebration. The Declaration of Independence from Empire, from the business model of slavery, drugs, piracy, black People were acknowledged to be children of God. Full stop. Then, June 14th, 1919, and ratified on August 18th, 1920, the 19th Amendment granted women the right to vote. Another great movement forward in ending piracy and drugs and slavery is our business model. Women have the vote. 1912. Congress passed a constitutional amendment that provided for the direct election of senators by the people of each state. Another great movement forward. So we are getting there. And it really is going to come down to how faithful are we? How faithful are we? Can we clear our mechanism? Can we give up the anti-Semitism and the racism and the xenophobia and the homophobia 
which is used to paint our movement as being dangerous. Look at all this effort to paint God-loving, American-loving citizens, free citizens of America, as dangerous. Well, we're the greatest dangerous danger to the country. Yeah, we are, because the country right now is controlled by the elites. you damn right we're the greatest danger, and I don't mean a physical danger. We have a constitution. We have a process. We can get off that couch and get in this game, and we can rebalance our country so that it serves the well-being of the people. So I want to wish you, on this most momentous day, July 4th, 2023, a very happy Independence Day, that you yourself see that God freed you from empire, that you escaped with his strong arm protecting you, that you cleared your mechanism and I cleared my mechanism, and we threw off the bondage of slavery, drugs, and piracy, that we were there together on July 4th, 1776, that we were there, we the people were there, and we're still here today with that document as a founding principle and as a guiding light that we can throw off this darkness together. I want to thank you for joining me. I look forward to seeing you soon again. Happy Fourth of July.